The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Patrick, Ben, welcome to our first crossover episode ever of the Cinematography Podcast. Patrick O'Sullivan from The Wandering DP uh, is joining us to talk about the Best Cinematography Oscar nominations. Uh, Welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the podcast. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, we love your podcast, and I personally share your opinion of the ASC's uh, audio quality. Oh, fantastic. I'm not alone. Not at all. We were talking about before. It's like, yeah... It really could be better. It yeah. really could be. So. They could be now living that, that dream for like $150. Yeah, exactly. Now the pressure's on us, though. If this sounds, if this sounds terrible, then uh, it's all hypocritical. Yeah, it, it, it's it's terrible, too, because like the guy who produces that podcast is a friend of mine, and uh, I've even mentioned it to him, and he hasn't done anything about it. Ah, so. uh, you got the inside track. This is it. You, you can solve this problem for generations of filmmakers we should just to come. Go over to the, yeah, we should go to the clubhouse one day. and it, just, it, and just I, It's all in a bag. I bring it all in a bag. So yeah, just show just them how to do it. Drop it's it like, off. Here, here you go. Have, have I, and it truly is like for $250, they would be done. They would done. Be done. Just done. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, enough about other podcasts. Let's well, talk. Well, about, actually, oh, for, want, for, for our listeners, could yeah. you please pitch the Wandering DP? I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with you already, but I'd love to hear, you know, like your angle and uh, get get you some of our subscribers. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the angle is commercial cinematography sort of blended into other forms of documentary and, and narrative and all that sort of stuff. But it really... I started it for a very selfish reason. I was not good at cinematography and I'm still in that stage of not being good. But I just wanted to hear how people were getting the images that they they were and how I was using the same equipment and my stuff was looking uh, nowhere near as good. Uh, and sort of coming from a very naive point of view, thinking that, oh, you know, one person will be able to tell me the trick that I should have just set the camera to this and, you know, then I have Roger Deakin stuff. But of course, you know, three years later, uh, come to find out that there's lots of different paths and lots of different ways to go about it. But that's essentially the show is part me exploring other people's work. Like uh, last week, we had Sam uh, Levy on the podcast from Ladybird, just exploring their process on exactly how they work and how they, you know, every single cinematographer does it a little bit differently and they all do uh, have their own choices and things like that. So half of it's that. And then the other half is uh, really technical stuff. So people that are interested in cinematography and, uh, you know, there's a gap in knowledge, at least there was at the time, uh, between sort of how to turn on the camera, how to use the settings on a 5D uh, versus, you know, the ASC uh, magazine where you're talking about super high level stuff. There was that gap where you could sort of uh, have done it for a long time and have no idea what you were doing. So that was sort of the goal of the podcast is to sort of uh, slot in there somewhere, sort of in the mediocre range, but talking to really nice guests. <laughs> really. <laughs> and are you skip. feeling like you're reaching your goal? Is, is your cinematography taken uh, many leaps? Uh, yeah, it definitely has. I've definitely stolen as much stuff as I possibly could from people. Um, and mm-hmm. it, yeah, just through, you know, the nature of work and the nature of getting better, like anything takes a long time and, and takes a lot of examining and being very self-critical. And that's a lot of the podcast as well is putting my shame out there publicly. And that way, <laughs> yeah, I, that I way it's, it's like, well, I won't never... make that mistake again because I have to answer to, uh, you know, thousands of people that, that I completely shit the bed on something. So that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> there is something very confessional about podcasting. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's there's definitely a little bit of, of airing of laundry I yeah. think that, that occurs. Yeah. Well, you, you guys have got uh, and, it great. You guys have got the combination. You can look at each other and see that there is actually someone else on the line. I, for the most part, 
when I'm not doing the interview podcast, which is half of the time, I'm sitting here in this closet of a room rambling into a microphone about how bad a job I did. <laughs> you know, it is, it couldn't really get more uh, demoralizing than that, but it's a fun practice. <laughs> our podcast is non-technical. So um, yeah, we are art, craft and philosophy. And while we do sometimes delve into the technical a little bit, we try to stay away from it. There are great podcasts like your, like your own that can get super into the tech and we're just, I, I live the tech day in and day out. And I, I like having a release, something that is, the the art portion of this business and not the technical part because really I, I I don't I don't need to talk about any more tab A's and slot D's and different sorts of levels of photo diodes or anything like that yeah. I need to keep it all I, I need like that 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 high level um yeah it it looked good I need that, I need that. <laughs> I need, uh, that's that's what I need so is there any, uh, Ben do you want to add to that in any way no I'm good okay great so, <laughs> I got nothing that's good that was good so, stuff. <laughs> uh, so yesterday yesterday the nominations came out for best cinematography and in case any of uh, the people listening to the show don't know the nominations for best cinematography for the Academy Awards in 2018 is Blade Runner 2049 Roger Deakins Darkest Hour Bruno Del Bonnell Dunkirk Hoyt Van Hoytma Mudbound Rachel Morrison Woo-hoo. And The Shape of Water, Dan Lauston. And I have to admit right now, I think I just butchered everybody's name. And we will probably do lots of other butchering as we sorry, go Sorry, Rachel. I'm sorry that he butchered your name, Rachel. You, <laughs> he sat in your house and then he butchered your name. Exactly. But uh, re- regardless, uh, we're, we're not talking about names. Well, we're talking about names a little bit. But we're going to talk about the visuals. We're going to talk about the movies. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, what we think the uh, front runner is, what we think uh, might actually win. Uh, yeah. You want to um, kick it off with Blade Runner? Should we talk about Blade Runner 2049 well, well, first? Well, first off, I want to say that if we'd bet, I would have lost the bet because I said that Shalada Bruce Christensen was going to get a nomination for Molly's game and she did not. Next time, Shalada, you're awesome. You're going to end up there. <laughs> As always, next Agreed. year. Yeah, great. Yes. All right. So uh, Blade Runner. Patrick, did you see uh, Blade Runner? I did. I did see it in the theater as it should be seen. And uh, oh I'll just, I, people who listen to, to, to the Wandering Deep podcast will know that I'm essentially rooting for Roger. I'll get that on the on the board now. Um, it was it was actually, out of all of the, the movies, it was the only movie that I actually made it to the theater to see. So oh, that, right. that goes to Which, show you my level of involvement. You didn't watch it in 3D, did you? No, I did not no, watch did. it in 3D. <laughs> I saw it in 3D. We, my my wife and I accidentally bought tickets in 3D, and so I ended up seeing it in 3D. But the 3D was amazing. Wow. And yeah. I'm not I'm not a knee-jerk 3D guy. I'm uh, blaming my wife on that one. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know what 3D really stands for? What? $3. That's that's how much extra <laughs> it costs to go see a 3D. Well, as, as total coincidence would have it, uh, 3D guru um, Eric Kurland was in the in the same theater with us. Of course, Eric Kurland and, was. And yeah. so uh, we we had a uh, he's a he's a brilliant guy, knows everything there is about 3D, and was telling me exactly how many foot lamberts of light are cut by putting on 3D glasses, <laughs> etc. And to me, that's always that's always my complaint about 3D is that I'm watching a movie with sunglasses on, and so it's going to look dark and muddy. And I actually thought that Blade Runner did a really good job of uh, overcoming all that and whatever their post process was. So, so Patrick, I know you're rooting for for Roger on this one. Do you think 14th times the charm? Yeah, I don't know. I would say, I mean, if we were talking about picking something to win, uh, every year I've picked incorrectly. So me picking Roger here probably means someone else. So I would not say Sorry, that, uh, that he would be the front runner even 14 <laughs> you're, times. You're into worried it. You're, it's going to drink jinx it. Uh, you know, I think he is the front runner. I hear a lot of people talking about 
He's I the mean, obvious front runner. I mean, I think okay. there's no no doubt in my mind that Roger Deakins is the if I were if I were putting money on a board, Roger Deakins would be where I would put my money. You, you know, I think though that almost every year, probably 13 times, well maybe not 13 <laughs> times, but a lot of times people are thinking that you know his work is amazing. He, this is probably his year, and I think that Academy voters sometimes do reward bodies of work over necessarily one project. But I mean, I don't know. I was not the biggest. Blade Runner 2049 fan. So I was the uh, biggest fan of the movie, but the cinematography and the visual effects and the design, every every inch of it was brilliant. I just my biggest problem was the editing, and it wasn't nominated for editing. So there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any uh, particularly memorable moments for you in, in Blade Runner, Patrick? That you thought uh, that were indicative of, of the movie? Any? any no, I, th- I think I think what really struck me uh, watching it was that it was a Roger Deakins movie. Not in, not in the sense that he imparted his own style on it, but really the the thing that separates Roger's work from a lot of other people for me is just the amount of polish. That's on the image. You know, it still fits mm. in with a story. It still fits in with the piece. And every movie, he's bringing something different. But every time I watch a, a, a Roger Deakins movie, it's like I wouldn't want the camera to be anywhere else. I wouldn't want the <laughs> camera to be any stiller or to have any more motion. And I wouldn't want the yeah. light to be any other way. You know, it's not like sometimes, even at the highest level, and this is, you know, really coming from someone who's only watching the cinematography, you'll see every once in a while, you'll see a scene or you'll see an angle where you know that they were outside and they just didn't have enough time. So there's that little bit Mm of, uh, you know, shadow density difference. If you watch a Roger Deakins movie and, you know, he keeps getting better and better and better as he goes, he's just sharpening the blade with every movie. The, the, just the control that is in every single frame is, you know, it was masterful. It's it's something that is extremely hard to do over and over and over with super big crews on super big sets that you're building yep. these whole worlds. It's not, you know, magic hour uh, outside and you're filming some girl dancing. This is like he built it. And, you know, with the help of tons and tons of people who are also masterful. But if you're looking at the ability to deliver the goods time and time again, that's what stands out. It's just how well the whole thing fits of a piece and all feels exactly like you would hope that it would. You know, I mean, it is gorgeous from beginning to end. And even though I didn't particularly care for the movie, I really did like the way it looked. It looked fantastic. Well, and I mean, he does have such a storied career. And a lot of times when somebody wins, it's like for a career. Like, I wish I could retroactively give him the Oscar for the Shawshank Redemption. You know, still one of the best looking movies in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, you know, and all the work he's done with the Coens. You can go on and on and on. I mean, his his work is just so amazing. Uh, and so I, I do feel like that also informs why I would put him as the front runner. Again, if I were betting money, I would say he'd, he'd be the guy just because he's due and this is great work. I think probably the the next the next big movie, if there's a if there's a spoiler in this group, uh, it's probably Dunkirk. The cinematography of Dunkirk from Hoyt Van Hoytma is Insane, and they the you know here we're talking about I'll just mention audio for a second. Audio is fifty percent of your visuals, but I mean the audio in Dunkirk plus the visuals, it's a sonic and visual experience that's uh, that that really plays off each other. I mean, I don't know, Ben, what what's your what's your feeling about Dunkirk? Did oh. you did you, and first of all, how did you see it? Did you see it in seventy or IMAX or I, I saw Dunkirk in an IMAX theater, um, and so it was you know, and it wasn't IMAX, it was at uh, Universal City Walk, which is not my favorite place to go, but no, they, they IMAX, they have they have one of the best IMAX theaters in town and uh, yeah so it was in real IMAX and you could see the even the aspect ratio switch when they went to 70 millimeter or whatever absolutely beautiful I'm a giant Christopher Nolan fan this is not my favorite Christopher Nolan film but 
I think that uh, without a doubt, the cinematography, the cinematography is so noteworthy because it was all on film. And I think it's probably the most IMAX ever in a feature length film released in theaters. It could very well be. It's a lot of IMAX in there and it looks great. Patrick, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. Uh, this will be sacrilegious to most. I, I couldn't have seen it in a worse way. I saw it in a plane. <laughs> Oh, I was gonna say like I was about to, I was about to joke on an airplane. So oh. no, that is actually that is actually where I saw it. But th- it brings up I think Dunkirk brings up an interesting point, uh, especially with the Academy Awards. You know, it's different for the ASC where you sort of uh, know exactly who's voting for what. But it really does come down to what are you what are you voting on? You know, like is the degree of difficulty involved in a project is that something to be noted? You know, is it is it no. something to be noted that maybe you built the entire world or is it that you went and found the entire world and you had to deal with the weather and all of that sort of stuff? You know, uh, I don't know any of the people that actually vote for the Academy Awards. I know it's some sort of uh, body with a couple thousand people in it. Then there's actors and stuff like that. I, they they all guys, wear black robes and they carry yeah. candles around. <laughs> exactly. Part of the Illuminati and they sacrifice an owl. Yeah. I don't know exactly how it works, but it brings up an interesting point because they are so, you know, from a very baseline point of view completely different films all over the board you know it happens time and time again yeah. life of pi versus skyfall or something like that like uh, you know mm-hmm. it's 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 beautiful of course you can't knock any of these movies oh, yeah. they're all they're fantastic yeah no no i mean they're all amazing well and i, and I agree with you i, I don't I, personally i don't wait how hard it probably was to make dark uh dunkirk i th- i think that like seeing it in the IMAX theater again not my favorite Christopher Nolan film and it's because it's really hard to identify with any character and that's clearly by design but you know watching it in IMAX and seeing like you know these shots way over the ocean and picking up the subtle texture of the waves and all this stuff and using uh, IMAX in a storytelling uh, context like it's never been used before it is an enormous achievement purely as cinematography like like to me the cinematography was the number one thing that recommended that movie and that was the thing that i kind of walked away from it with and i sort of feel like that's a bummer because you know i want my christopher nolan movies to be hitting on all cylinders like they often do and i feel like in this one you know like i don't have an emotional attachment to dunkirk because i'm not british and i'd never heard the story before i saw the movie so to me, it was uh, it, it, it didn't hit me the way that it probably hits a lot of people, you know, in the UK. Wow. Uh, um, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm the, the person who liked it the most here, but I thought it was great from beginning to end. And I, I got to say that I understand we weren't supposed to connect with necessarily particular characters. And it was really an ensemble piece, but it was terrorizing. The sounds and the visuals and things that were happening really like put you on the edge of your seat. And I got to say that I can only imagine the edited for flight version that you were seeing, which probably had zero plane crashes in it, which uh, <laughs> I could have seen it in a single engine Cessna. That would have been worse. <laughs> True. But, 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 but really uh, I, I did get to see it in a, a pretty spectacular way. I got to see it uh, at Warner brothers in 70 millimeter at a producer's guild screening and uh, Christopher Nolan and uh, Kenneth Branagh were there and did a Q and a afterwards. So, uh, it was, it was a, a pretty darn good experience, but, uh, yeah, I found the movie visceral and, uh, I think that Academy voters might as well. So mm. they do kind of like period pieces. Uh, no, I mean, I yeah. think it's, I think it's got a good, I mean, all of them have a good shot looking at just the cinematography, the part that is impressive to me, besides, you know, the feats that it took to get done and the, and the hardship that they went through was that really in my mind, the only thing that can really separate, you know, fantastic cinematography from something uh, slightly askew of that would be the sole decision to say, okay, you know, when they ask you, you know, are we ready to go? 
And the cinematographer says, yeah, you know, we're good to go. And there is some, just like The Revenant, you know, it may not be that you're painting with light from all different directions on these sets that take months to build, but you're the person that they look to to maintain continuity over an entire piece and to say, yeah, yeah okay, we can go now. We can we can take all these millions of dollars and we can go now rather than saying, well, we got to wait five more minutes or, you know, it's harder on those exteriors. Plus, you know, that that's scale and that scope to have it all planned out and be ready to go. I think the the planning, that's what I think I took away most from watching the visuals was just how involved and how much pressure would have been on to make those shots happen. And I think that uh, that was my main takeaway, which is why I thought it was so great. That's a great point. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great point. Okay. Uh, next up, should we talk about Shape of Water? I'm a huge fan of Shape of Water, and I think that, uh, like, secretly I wanted to win, but it's because I, I've been a Guillermo del Toro fan for so long. I love all the work that he does. I loved his work with Guillermo Navarro on uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which I did, I do believe did win yeah. uh, Best Cinematography in its year. Um, and I thought it was funny that it, it it's also nominated for Best Editing because when you watch a Guillermo del Toro movie, you're watching a movie that doesn't, isn't, his movies aren't covered. Like they're not, it's not master shot over the shoulder, over the shoulder. There's very little of that. A lot of times it's perfectly choreographed shot that leads into the next perfectly choreographed shot. And, uh, to do that the way that they did it in the shape of water and to create the whole world the way they did. And the second time I saw it in the theater, uh, becoming very aware of the color palette, which I know is a lot on the, um, on the production designer, but I also saw the same uh, craftsmanship and color going on in the lighting and the same that there was, there was such a unity of of vision uh, color wise and palette wise and all that stuff in that movie. And the, you know, to me, the story just tore me up, especially the second time it was weird. The first time I really liked it. The second time it was even more powerful to me. I enjoyed it very much, but um, I certainly enjoyed the visuals. It's a very, very visual movie. I have to say though that I feel like as great as the visuals were, that's the movie I think that'll win for production design. The production design, and I'm telling you, there's there's four other great movies nominated for production Maybe. design, but Shape of Water's production design for me, I, I kept gravitating to that. It's like it's a world was created, and it's such a it's it's such an interesting looking world. And it's you know it's its own sort of time out of place, and it's great that way. So I, I don't know for me. I think of that movie as a production design movie, although the visuals are spectacular and they go, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. I really do feel like if you watch it again and you watch it with an eye towards cinematography, you start realizing how much of it, how much of it is the camera work and how del Toro uses his camera work. And like I I saw it with a Q and a with del Toro at the Egyptian theater out here. And um, he was talking about how they didn't watch any monster movies as reference. They didn't watch any horror movies. They watched like old musicals. Hmm. And you realize watching it, like how much of it does feel like, I mean, there's an obvious influence in that, in that, you know, the main characters kind of like do soft shoe dances and stuff like that. But the way the camera is choreographed hilariously through these like dingy tunnels in these, in these teal buildings and, and, and with, you know, this kind of like mid century architecture, um, still they're like pulling off those moments and I actually didn't even remember from the first time I'd seen it that there is a full musical number in it in black and white that is just sumptuous and gorgeous and also has a guy in a Gilman costume you can't go wrong <laughs> well <laughs> there's also I mean incredible colors though I can imagine why you don't remember the black and white because the colors are I mean that movie yeah. is so colorful yeah yeah Patrick what's your feeling about yeah this? I mean well just from a, just from a who's going to win standpoint I think they have in the past rewarded sort of fantastical uh, cinematography, you know, it, it's 
like we, we were saying in the beginning, it's so different than the other pictures in there. Uh, but that has been rewarded in the past, and and it you know it takes a certain skill. And although that's the the sole film you know that I haven't seen, uh, it's judging from the visuals that I have seen, it is of that world. You know, it fits in right with what uh, Del Toro is known for, uh, and that look has been rewarded before. So I, I can't see uh, why it isn't at least an outside shot here. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there's a spoiler. Keep a possibility there. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it the front runner, but I definitely could see it. I don't think it's a front runner. I agree that Blade Runner probably is the front runner. And also, The Shape of Water is nominated, I think, more than any other movie. I think it's got 13 nominations, yeah, meaning sounds- that sometimes when that happens, you don't, the movie doesn't win as much as at all because I think the voters are like, oh, it's going to win for editing. Oh, it's going to win for this. Oh, it's, and it's, you know, and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't win for, for any of those things. But, you know, and, and so much of it is about Del Toro. But I can only imagine what a gift and also how difficult it would be as a cinematographer to have to keep up with that guy's brain and to <laughs> and to be able to mine the crazy imagination, you know, and, and, and the visual scape that he wants to create with all of his movies. So Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour, I know, Ben, you saw it. I think that uh, you definitely liked it more than I did. So I like Darkest Hour. I yeah. actually feel like it's a good companion piece to Dunkirk, honestly, because it, it even has a couple of scenes that are Dunkirk. Uh, agreed. I mean, it, it, in that way, it, it fits very well. But uh, I mean, visually, visually, it is. I mean, hey, it it so deserves. It so deserves this nomination. And of course, the cinematographer's previous work is uh, remarkable onto itself. Bruno has done Amelie, right? Amelie. He did Inside Lewin Davis. Inside yeah. Lewin Davis. That's where I was. At. Uh, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Uh, Across the Universe, which also looks spectacular. Yeah. Even uh, that movie, uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. That is a you know, it's a kid's movie, but it, it looks fantastic. Well, like so. known for, I would say the thing about all those movies is in their own way, they're highly stylized. And the interesting thing about Darkest Hour is it's a, it's a docudrama that also is extraordinarily stylized. Lots of shafts of light through smoky giant chambers of uh, oh, yeah. parliament. Parliament, and stuff. exactly. Yeah. Um, and subway tunnels. And I mean, even like the key art that you see for it is like his face bathed in that red, red light. You know, it's it, it really is a, uh, using cinematography in a really emotional way on a subject in a, in a way that you wouldn't expect that subject matter necessarily to be handled. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, in fact, usually you don't see docudramas look like that. You don't see that look that way at all. Yeah, you don't see that period. That the World War II period. I don't usually see it. Uh, I, there's like an idealized way to show it, and I feel like they're not showing it that way. No, it, it looks like a million bucks though. It looks for multi million bucks. It looks. It looks. <laughs> it looks really expensive. It looks. I mean, every frame of that film does look really remarkable and it, it certain, certainly should be in this this short list of, uh, of films here also but, I gotta say shooting all that makeup like Gary Oldman's got like 4,000 pounds of, of I'm assuming silicon on his face every yeah. day and making it look as real as it does like I didn't I didn't question the makeup after about a minute into that movie I didn't even think about it and compare it to movies like J. Edgar where you have a lot of makeup on a well-known actor and it doesn't sell. Yeah, that's true. Patrick, what are your feelings on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it falls in line with everything that Bruno's done before. He is he is a the sort of cinematographer that will hit you over the head with uh, with amazing visuals. You know, it's not something like you guys were saying. It's not something that you would imagine that that felt like that in real life, but he is creating a world and he's a master at that, whether it's through Amelie or even a very long engagement where he's doing the, the exact same thing, which I think he won, uh, you know, the ASC award for that. It's he is very well known and, and couldn't be any different, uh, you know, than a Deacons in style. It's almost like uh, 
I don't know, in, in a boxing analogy, it would be Mike Tyson versus Floyd Mayweather. It would be uh, people. It's very easy to recognize the skill that Bruno brings to the table, right? Because you ask the I, average I person, how did they get it like that? And they, and they wouldn't be able to know. Whereas if you watch Roger, it, it's more of he's more of a cinematographer's cinematographer. Like you have to know how hard it is to do that bit, to do the bit that looks easy. You have to know. Whereas Bruno's stuff looks hard. It looks like. Jesus, you've created this whole world and these colors and these thoughts and these lights that are uh, magical and fantastical, whereas others are, are more subdued. And I think that's, I mean, that's obviously a strength. He's done it time and time again, and it's beautiful stuff. And it is, it's just a nice, refreshing change, you know, to see a movie that actually takes you into real world events, but is, you know, in a fantasy land is, 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 uh, is why you go to the movies, right? Absolutely. Yeah, indeed. Uh, okay. So uh, what do we think? What do you think the chances are of, of darkest hour pulling it out? I, I, I don't really see it in, in happening just because of what the Academy tends to vote for and the type of content that it is. But uh, I could be wrong. What do you, what do you guys think? What are the, what are the chances of darkest hour pulling out a, a I, gold statue? I, I'd say I see, I see Bruno getting his lifetime achievement after Roger does. You know, he didn't. He, had, he didn't get it for Amelie. He didn't get it for a very long engagement. He's he, he's got about three or four nominations more than he slots in behind Roger. That'd be my guess. I completely agree. Everything about the cinematography in that movie is you know top top shelf, top notch. It's very stylized. It's beautiful. And this guy's work in the past has been completely amazing. And I think if you were doing a reel of of what he's done up until now, it would, every ounce of it would be so impressive. But uh, I absolutely agree. It's it's probably not his time it would be surprising to me if it won you know uh it, it belongs on this list but i don't think it wins yeah I, and and i think that darkest hour just in my conversations i've been having with people seems to be kind of a polarizing movie i've talked to a couple of people who, who didn't finish it who couldn't finish the screener or walked out so, well and that's actually yeah. something else to point out is that this is an american organization that's voting on it and it's about winston churchill so it may not have the the same amount of gravity yeah. All right. So, uh, so last but certainly not least on this list is Mudbound, uh, shot by Rachel Morrison, who we interviewed l- like three weeks ago. Couldn't be more excited about having Rachel on the show, that, which is fantastic, and uh, and it's a beautiful movie, and uh, it's getting a lot of buzz right now. And there's it's again, it seems to be a movie that. I talk to people, it's a little bit more polarizing. People really like this movie or they didn't really well, like this movie. But and if I'm not mistaken, is it not the first movie that was a Netflix original that got any Oscar nomination? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't think you don't is. know that. I don't think Beast of No Nation, I don't think got a single nomination. Wow. I think it was yeah. shut out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's really interesting. So, yes. Yeah, and also, it's the first time ever in 90 years that a woman has been nominated for Best Cinematography. Well, about time. About fucking time. <laughs> Yeah, she nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I I loved it. I loved it. It ticked all the boxes for me. I loved it. I loved every little bit of it. And, you know, it had definitely had a look um, that was carried through the whole piece. Very polished. uh, Well done. Fit the fit the story. I guess the the, the way that you judge whether or not you enjoy the cinematography is do you like the, the way the person sees the world? And for me, Rachel saw that world. It was dark. It was grimy. There was enough grit, but there was also, you know, you could sense the craft in that grit as well. And you could sense the, the decision making was all there and and all the boxes sort of got ticked and came together and, and produced what I think was 
you know, a really, really strong piece. Rachel was telling us that uh, they had the idea of it starting out very saturated and, and bright because everyone's life was kind of better at the beginning of the movie than it is at the end. And they did it like through the way they lit it and through costume and 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 set design and, and production design. They bled the color out. And she said they did a little bit with the DIT, but it, was, it wasn't a shoot it in post kind of a thing. It was like a very deliberate thing that they did uh, during production of that film. I really like the look of Mudbound, but I think what I particularly liked about it is it doesn't cause, it doesn't cause you to really... It, it doesn't do anything to really draw attention to itself in such a way that uh, it is invisible and seamless and wonderful, but it's like you know, all the other movies that uh, that we've talked about here, they're these incredibly striking visual period movies, science fiction movies, fantasy movies, uh, you know, all, all this stuff happening. Mudbound uh, is also a period piece, but and it looks beautiful, but so much of it is invisible. So much of the time I just found myself uh, completely being wrapped up in what's happening on the screen and not really going like, wow, how did they pull that shot off? Where in some of the others, it's like, what was that shot? I just look at it. how long was that tracking shot? How long did, did, that, <laughs> did that go on for? Or, but, you know, Mudbound flows really nicely. And I'll, I'll have to give credit to the to the editorial of Mudbound as well, too, because uh, it's certainly, certainly sold the cinematography, certainly made the cinematography feel seamless and really really for me worked in a in a very fundamental way yeah and that would be that exact point would be my concern for you know subtlety isn't always the uh the best route it seems uh with the oscars so i don't uh i don't know if it will be rewarded for that very reason you know because it does set the scene and and set the exact imagery and the mood that you would imagine and then just sort of falls behind the story as you would want it. Also, I think a lot of the industry has a bias against Netflix. Like, I think that they're annoyed with day and date because it hurts a lot of business models. And I wonder if Academy voters would vote against something that was something that was a Netflix original. Interesting. I, I would not have, that would have not necessarily jumped to the, the head of my mind for, for voting for yeah. this. But by token though too, you might get a bunch of people go like, hey, first time a woman's been nominated in this category, maybe we should we should throw our votes that way to try to. Absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there could be a spoiler there. I wouldn't be surprised if any one of these won. Like I said, they all belong on the list. They're all great. I guess I'll just throw this out to any of the listeners. If you haven't seen these five movies, all five of them are worth your time, especially if you were interested in visual especially if you're interested in cinematography because like here this was a really strong year for cinematography there were, were other great movies with great cinematography as well that are not on this list anyone want to throw out uh, something that they particularly liked that uh, didn't make the short list here of five i'll go out and i'll say uh three billboards three billboards looked fantastic it's a great movie too but uh the cinematography and that works works really well i thought i Tanya was also great i, Tanya, yeah. I thought that that had yeah, that I mean, it's it's a great movie, but also the cinematography and that is another one that doesn't get in front of the story. But the stuff they do on ice as well as everything else is just all works so fantastic. So uh, I, I would want to give a shout out actually to uh, Toby Oliver who shot Get Out. Oh, of course, yeah, that's Get Out is great. Yeah. And I mean, Get Out, like when I first heard about it, it's like Jordan Peele comedian directing a movie, and I was like a little skeptical because a lot of times when actors direct, they tend to be all performance based or whatever and then when i saw the movie i was blown away with how cinematic it was and i believe that was like a five million dollar movie if i'm not mistaken yeah i love get out i love the fact that it got nominated for best picture i don't know if it necessarily would beat any of these movies on this list but it does look amazing and i also you know blumhouse made that movie it's a horror film I, Bl- and, and blumhouse out, outside of uh 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 fuck what was the jazz <laughs> whiplash whiplash <laughs> I, like whiplash is i think i think uh blumhouse is only 
only like Oscar contender kind of movie that they've ever made. And I doubt they expected this to be an Oscar contender. And here they are kind of sitting on a on a sleeper Oscar hit. So. Uh, it, that's high praise that you have for Get Out. It does look fantastic, but. Uh, you know, it's it's not the it's not the same type of movie. It's it's a horror movie, and uh, oh, I, go, go fuck yourself! Horror <laughs> movies are awesome. <laughs> I know I know that you would say that. I knew that I was. You I were was, just goading. I me. was totally goading. I don't, but I but took the bait too, you, like you, an you idiot. Did, you did take it, but it's like you don't generally see many horror movies nominated in, the, in this category. That's Silence not, of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs being the notable exception. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, for myself, I'd say I Tanya, like you uh, had said before, Leah. Uh, or yeah. uh, for, for purely selfish reasons, uh, Lady Bird, after hearing sort of oh, yeah. Sam's take on the entire thing, having him on the podcast last week or back whenever, uh, it was interesting to hear that he essentially, they accomplished exactly what they were going for. You know, they were going for it, it to have it look like a colored Xerox of a dream. That was what they wanted it to look like. And I think essentially that's what happened. So I, uh, in terms of success and, and, and uh, seeing something fun, Lady Bird would be for me. Uh, I actually think another one that's maybe worth mentioning as well is Darius Wolski for All the Money in the World, just because they had to do a, a, for Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World, they had to uh, replace Kevin Spacey. And I know this isn't what you don't reward this necessarily, but I believe it was inside of 18 days or something ridiculously short for that kind of movie. They come two 80 year old men, Ridley Scott and Christopher Plummer replaced all of Kevin Spacey's scenes. But when I saw the movie, I would have had no idea that any, any shenanigans had happened on that film. That's crazy. I heard about that. That's nuts. Well, okay. Uh, I just looked up silence of the lambs, Ben, not nominated for best cinematography. Oh, you're right. Not Son of a bitch. Time. Best sound, best editing things, you know, best screenwriting. Has, has talk Fujimoto won for anything else? You know, uh, that's a good question. Uh, so you're saying that horror movies don't have good cinematography? Uh, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the Academy does not mm-hmm. uh, does not mm-hmm. reward them. So, mm-hmm. uh, and including Silence of the Lambs, which uh, I thought if there was one, that was going to be the one. So if he hasn't won, I would put Tak Fujimoto high on the list of he's due. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah his stuff is fantastic. Fail Academy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Patrick, thank you very much for doing this. Where where can people find you? Uh, the easiest spot to do it is uh, on the website, wanderingdp.com. You can find all the uh, the back episodes and everything like that. And then I'm on Instagram as well, which is wanderingdp there. And uh, that's it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on board. Hopefully we can do it again on some other topic. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I guess I, I, <laughs> I was I was trying to come up with something like witty and clever there, but I, I got nothing. So Fail. Patrick, it was awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. And I can't wait to do it again. Sounds good. See you. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.